What's up, BBN? Another episode of Cats Talk Wednesday. Hey, TV Brown, Vinny Hardy in here. Hope everybody's having a good evening. Brought to y'all by BS3 Radio, Lots of Rain Watches, and Play Action Pools, where we got us a Cats Talk football contest started up in here. TB, man, how's everything going with you? I'm doing real good, man. I cannot complain. We're getting close to fall and all that kind of stuff. It's it's cruising right along, man. It sure is. It sure is. And you know, the, you know, the old timers told us when we was little, the older you get, the faster they go. They they really wasn't lying. As far as yeah. how the years go by. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of those sayings the old folks used to say, they became <laughs> those sayings because there's a lot of truth to them. So uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, man, we, like you said, cruising right along, inching our way towards football season. Uh, trying to see what the cats are going to do. Uh, not a lot going on. Kind of hit that on the spaces last night as far as Kentucky is concerned. The stuff that's going on is stuff that's kind of been going on already with the uh, trying to sort out what's going on with the six guys in the frat party, Drew Tom yeah. McLean and Vito Tisdale, and and those guys. Um, volleyball gets to unveil their championship banner next week, so that's that's gonna be exciting as they embark on defending their title for Coach Skinner and everybody. So that's uh, you know all cats everything. That's that's uh, something to look forward to. Um, uh, Nerlens and Rich Paul—that's kind of that kind of jumped out there to, to see what happens with that. You know, we talked about Dennis Schroeder last week missing out on some money. Nerlens did, even though he just signed the deal, but he's saying Rich Paul and clutching them could have could have been a little more diligent and possibly got him some more. That's what he's alleging. Yeah. So I, I don't know the merits of Nerland's case. Yeah. You know, I'm no legal expert, but I would assume that the he's alleging that they gave him bad advice, right? That I think mm-hmm. that would have to be the the crux of it versus Dennis Schroeder. And I don't know if it's Schroeder or Schroeder. I, I don't know what the umlaut over the O means. I, I'm not familiar, yeah. but uh, it just seemed like he told LA no on the $84 million deal uh, I believe there was another deal he turned down from LA so I believe that's all on him mm-hmm. and you know we, we talked about that last week or week before like you know betting on, betting on yourself is good but when you're in a situation where you're playing for the LA Lakers so you're in Hollywood and you just get to play ball with LeBron and AD it's stress free I mean all you gotta do is hit some open shots and not really screw things up you know Alex Caruso flourished in that situation right like we have seen dudes flourish with LeBron that didn't flourish other places right you know J.R. Smith uh, you know has a championship ring because of that so uh, I I know you might want to make a hundred million dollar contract, but eighty four is close enough. 
that's just that's just me i mean i i know there's a difference but from where i'm sitting if somebody said tb we're gonna give you 84 or 100 you know i'm good with 84 i can make that work because then you because then you end up with was he like six or seven if that yeah 5.9 i think he's right at six right at six yeah in boston in boston which uh, ain't hollywood if you got to choose between Boston and LA, come on, man. I mean, okay. And, and then you're in a situation, you're on a prove it deal. You got to yeah. prove it, and you don't know what Boston is going to be about. Yeah. Right? I mean, Boston, uh, their franchise in flux. You know, what is Boston going to do? You know, Tatum seems to be good, but not great. And. And, and Jalen Brown is very good, but if you got a chance to hit your wagon to Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or LeBron and AD, come on. I mean, yeah. e- e- even the diehard Wahlberg brothers might tell you, you got to go with LeBron. And- <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, that, that's who you got to hit your wagon up to. So uh, it's just, just interesting. And, and Nerland's. Uh, I, I said there's got to be something else to what he's bringing because he just signed a pretty sizable deal mm-hmm. but I remember he was in a similar situation where we kind of thought he had missed out and I just assumed that's what the market was was saying so I'll be interested to see how this kind of works out because I, I would there would have to be some impropriety he's alleging uh, of clutch sports. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I read somewhere where they didn't take some calls from the Sixers or somebody else that was offering, you know, a really decent contract. And he's kind of, you know, if you'd have been doing what you're supposed to do, we at least could have entertained these calls or opportunities for a better deal. So maybe he has a case or maybe he, you know, settles out of court. And in addition to the deal he just signed. So we'll. We'll have to see. Getting back to to Schroeder, Schroeder, uh, the coach now, you know, Brad Stevens is moving up into the front office where Danny Ainge used to be. The Celtics coach now is no more for being Neil Long's man, which ain't nothing wrong with that, than he is as a coach. I I don't know what's going on in Boston. You know, they... The, the, the Danny Ainge regime, yeah, <laughs> they stumbled into a title, and I still think that was a little nudge-nudge-wink-wink from Kevin McHale to ship out uh, Kevin Garnett, but uh, that's it. That's it. Like, the one, t- <laughs> one title, for however long Danny Ainge was there, one title since 1986, woo! I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, honestly, honestly, you know, I don't want to discount uh, those old championships, but it's been a long time since Bill Russell walked through that door in B-Town. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I told you, I think last week, just in my 44 years, the Lakers have won 11 titles. The Celtics have won four. It's crazy. So they're they're. The Celtics are UCLA. 
you know, they're very compatible. You look at both of those teams through 1980, dominant, dominant. I mean, think about it. UCLA won 10 of the first 40 NCAA tournaments. <laughs> like the Lakers have done the last 40 years. Right. The, 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 since the tournament started in 1939 with Oregon winning through 1980, UCLA won 10 championships. Since then, one. You know, and, and you, you still have to talk about them like they are a blue blood program because I, with UCLA, I'm like, you can't move them out of the blue blood list. Yeah. Even though it's been a while, my argument always is with UCLA, 10 is such a crazy number that no one else has reached it. No. Like, you could look at North Carolina and Kentucky, uh, the two programs I think are your top two. Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame coach. And all the coaches that Kentucky's had has equaled UCLA. All the coaches that North Carolina has had has equaled UCLA. So to me, that still means something when we're talking about that. But to be honest, no one really remembers when Boston was good. (laughs) I I mean, there's, there's a generation... You remember that one championship where there's a generation of fans that doesn't remember when Boston was the beast of the East. Yeah. I mean, that, that That's just the way it works. Uh, conversely, you know, you're a Cowboys fan, I'm a 49ers fan. There's a whole generation of kids that don't remember those matchups, the regular season and the NFC championship games, those playoff matchups where the winner of the Cowboys 49ers was representing the NFC. Yup. That's true. I mean, you you look at from, you know, when the Cowboys win their first championship. I'm going to have to Google this. Do you, uh, I don't, I don't 70, know what year. 72, I think. So think about this. First. Yeah, the year before. before maybe 71. Because they beat the Dolphins and then the next year the Dolphins went perfect. So, but 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 think about this. So look at from seventy one to nineteen ninety six, twenty five years, right? Your Cowboys won five, my Niners won five, and and played in all those uh, game, those NFC Championship games in the nineties. Played you know with the catch in 82, 80, 82? yeah. I don't, I get my, yeah. with the NFL playoffs, my years always kind of get messed up. But my point is, I mean, 25 championships in, you know, 10 year, 10 championships, 25 years, that's a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Cowboys even made it to a couple more Super Bowls and lost, but still, that's, that's, yeah. that's, but, but there's kids that don't remember that. Right. You know, because people, younger than us are like well yeah the cowboys get a lot of love but they don't know why and the (laughs) reason and i'm not trying to shade the cowboys at all you know don't misunderstand i I usually do but i'm not but my point is these younger folks are like why do we care about the cowboys and it started because the cowboys were good it wasn't just because cowboys were america's team they were good that's why we pay attention to the cowboys right that's why uh, you know, the, the Steelers are a thing. The Packers are a thing, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's 
all these forces, number one is winning. Mm-hmm. And if you're not winning, then you do what the uh, Cubs and the Braves did. You get a super station that's on every <laughs> cable network. And so then you have a generation of Braves fans and Cubs fans, even though the teams weren't very good. Right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so those are your options. You either get your own cable network or you're good. Yeah. That, that's, and, that's, and Dallas that's still Dallas still reaping the benefits. They're still the most popular, most valuable franchise for, you know, they're still kind of getting residuals off of when they used to win. <laughs> right. Right. You know, they and 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 the, that's the thing too. I've heard other people speak about that. It's not just winning. Because I'll be honest with you, my 49ers uh, we've got a nice fan base. It ain't the Cowboys fan base. It ain't the Steelers fan base. Yeah. You know, even the Patriots, with the success they have, I know more people that are Tom Brady fans than actual Patriots fans. So winning doesn't always guarantee it either. When you talk about, especially like pro sports, you know, winning doesn't always rock, you know, move that needle either. It's very... This sounds like something that needs to be like a, a graduate level class in some school. Like, how, you know, it'd be interesting to see how do some teams mean something nationally and other teams don't. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you know, the, the same way people will watch uh, and do things for your Cowboys, my Lakers benefit from that in the NBA. There, you know, there was that stretch when they were terrible, they were still on TV. And I'm like, why are we putting Tariq Black on TV? <laughs> you know, the same way you got to be saying, look, man, we got Quincy Carter. Why are we oh, the Sunday night game? Why are we the Sunday night game of the week? <laughs> Ryan Leaf out here. What is, you know? The so, venerable <laughs> Dave Campo coaching. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is one of those things. It's like, you know, I love my team, but man, I really don't want to see them like this all the time. Uh, I remember the first year uh, I got I got uh, DirecTV and uh, I, the NFL ticket came with it, the Sunday ticket. I was like, this is great. I'll be able to watch all my 49ers games. This was like Alex Smith's maybe third season. This is the 5 and 11 49ers. And I'm like, I'm going to watch it because I got it. But I would have loved to have been able to watch all 16 games when Steve Young was back there slinging the ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I watch a full season of 13 and 3? Can I watch yeah. <laughs> Why? Of all the years to get it, why well, I got to get a 5'11? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> why I got to get this? You know? I hear you getting beat by the Falcons and the Rams, and that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to watch the Falcons do the Dirty Bird. <laughs> Come on, man. Like I, now, look, I'm gonna rock with my squad. I'm gonna watch. Yeah. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is the year I get it for free. I was like, it's yeah. just something else. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife was time like, you gonna watch this game? Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. She's like, what you mad? <laughs> You're right, I'm mad, but I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> afternoon just ruined. Because <laughs> the thing about the NFL Sunday ticket is, if you're not them national games, they just pull people out of the stands to cover it. Like. Yeah. 
it, it, you, you don't get you may not like Jack Buck but when you get the D-list crew you'll be like I need some Jack Buck and Troy Aikman like I don't know what this guy's doing <laughs> I remember one time they had a guy who was like does he understand that it takes 10 yards to get a first down like he was like <laughs> He, 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 he sounded like uh, a, a British person trying to understand American football right. as he was talking about on TV. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and I had to Google this guy. I'm like, who is this person? They didn't you know, even care. They, right, that's what happens. <laughs> At least when the Lakers are bad, you still got Marv Albert, right? You still got Mike Breen. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you still got them when they're on uh, TNT and ABC and all that kind of stuff, you know. But, you know, when your team is bad at NFL, you get to G-level production. Like, oh, we didn't go put the first down line on here. We could. Like, like they take it back to 1994 graphics. Like, we didn't use our top graphics. Yeah, it could be a first down. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, we're going to go to Joe to get a rule interpretation. It could be a catch. Your guess is as good as mine. Like, what am I watching? <laughs> Sideline yeah. side reporter's like, well, uh, they look tired. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> they drinking some Gatorade down here. Back to you guys. Right. Like, oh. So, I'm just here so I can get my check. Yeah, like man, you know, uh, the coach coaching, players playing. Back to you. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like I'm glad I'm getting this free. If I was paying, I'd be mad. <laughs> That's it, man. Uh, we got Mark's story coming up in about ten minutes. The columnist for the Lexington Herald Leader. So we'll have some fun talking with Mark. His thoughts on football and basketball and he's a big Dodgers fan so you know they beat my Braves last year and you know they ended their talk about droughts ended you know they they went 1988 until last year until they finally won a World Series so had to get Mark's thoughts on that because you know he was he was loving it so you know yeah there's hope for the Cowboys and Niners the Dodgers just you know ended a streak for three three decades without a title there's hope for our squads. But but the, the thing about the Dodgers, and we'll talk about this part, they, they're trying to win. Yeah. You know, they had that draft, but they still had all those, like, eight rookies of the year in a row. Like, they were trying to be competitive. They just couldn't get over the, the hump. I can't imagine being uh, a fan of a franchise that's not trying to win. Yeah. Like, that yeah. would just upset me. Like, I've watched all the Cubs fans – uh, in real life and online, like, they, like this is terrible. Like your team just gave up. Like they're like, yeah, we're not gonna try to win. Like what yeah. is it? You know, is that? You know, because the tickets aren't cheaper, right? You know, mm-hmm. like there's no discount on the gear. Yeah. I don't understand how you become a fan of a franchise that's, that's not even trying to win. Yeah. Like. I would rather sit there and be like, you know, the front office did X, Y, and Z, and it didn't work, than be like, I don't know what they're doing. You know, you'll remember <laughs> there was a stretch. We were doing the show before Jim Harbaugh got rolling in San Francisco when I was like, I don't know what the front office is doing. And then Jim Harbaugh left, and I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. You know, we back to the Super Bowl. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. cool. This, I, I got you. But if you are just one of these teams where you're like, what are they doing? Like, how are you a fan of the Minnesota Twins? What are the Twins doing? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yo. I mean, I guess if you grew up a fan of the Twins, but if I if if I'm a sports fan and you want me to invest time, which is the most important commodity, right? If you want me to invest my time into this thing or buy some merchandise, you got to show me you're trying to win. Yeah. You know, uh, this this whole trust the process and, and tank, tank, tank. That's <laughs> brutal. Man. Like, mm. I am so glad none of my franchises have done that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I joke about how bad the 49ers were, but at least Frank Gore, you know, <laughs> was out there, you know, Look, it gave me some entertainment value to watch. Yeah, you know, who he was rushing it? for hundred yards, and, and and they were still losing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Who was it? Was it the was it the Yorks that owned it? Right? Just didn't they change ownership that back when they were really you didn't know what they were doing? Wasn't that when the Yorks owned them? And now somebody yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Barlow Eddie the Barlow got in trouble with the feds. <laughs> 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 so yeah. <laughs> And uh, his 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 sister, the York. I forget how it goes. I should know this, but yeah, they were just. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. You know, the the front office. They got Dwight Clark out before he got sick, and they didn't. I didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, you when you look at the successful teams, it's the it's it's the ownership and front offices. Right, that's nope. that's what kind of sets the tone. Uh, you look at like San Antonio. San Antonio is not a destination place, but ownership. And I don't even know who the owner of the Spurs is. Couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. I, I know the GM is at RC Buford, and they've had Popovich oh, okay. coach okay. for yeah. eighty years. But you have a little bit of consistency. That's the key. Like you know, you look at like the Miami Heat, same owner, forever and ever. Pat Riley's been at the organization. You know. 20 years at this point is that kind of consistency it's the front offices that are always in turmoil that are the ones that that don't have those that don't win yeah you know and it's just a vicious cycle like of what are we doing until they finally get that right 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 you know and uh i feel confident with my 49ers as we get ready for the season to, to pick up, I feel confident that we're going to make another push. Injuries derailed the team last year. I'm confident my Lakers are going to make another push. You know, uh, I know they signed a bunch of old guys, but they got some young legs as well. So I'm hoping there's a good mix of let's get these young guys because we're not chasing uh, Pacific Division title. Right? Like, when it comes to the NBA, do you even know who won what division last year off the top of your head? Do you know? I mean, no. you know the Jazz were the top seed in the West, but do you know who yeah. else won won their division? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you way back when. Like, the, the NBA division winners, I, I have no idea. Yeah. None. I guess I, Phoenix did last I guess Phoenix was a two, so I guess they won theirs. After that. But, but that would be... Right, and that's the strangest thing about the NBA is it's like I read, I know why they have divisions, but but who's really keeping track of division championships, right. division titles? Like I I don't because it was I, it was Atlantic, Central, Midwest, and Pacific. I don't even know what yeah. it is now. Southeast, and there's yeah the, yeah there's like, yeah. like Orlando and, and Miami's yeah. in the southeast, and yeah I don't know, and they realigned it. <laughs> 
15 years ago. I still don't know. <laughs> right, right. So, b- because when it comes to the NBA, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like I could, like I, like maybe it is if your team is a different team, but growing up fan of the Lakers, I couldn't tell you how many Pacific Division titles they won in the 80s. It didn't, it, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Your focus is different. It's like we always say, like, off the top of my head, I don't know how many SEC championships in men's basketball Kentucky has won. Without looking, I couldn't tell you. I'm like, a right. lot. More mm-hmm. than anybody else can buy, but I don't know the exact number because it doesn't mean anything. And I shouldn't say it doesn't mean anything, but it just means something different to Kentucky fans. Let me put it yeah. like that. It just mm-hmm. means something different. So when you look across pro sports, like, NL East, you know your Braves are where they are in the NL East. Like, you know. Yeah. You know, the Cubs, NL Central, like, hey, we, the, and I love the NL Central hate. It is great. Everybody <laughs> hates everybody, and the Pirates over here, like, they don't even matter. But every other fan base hates every other fan base. They all say the same things about each other. Uh, St. Louis fans hate Chicago pizza. Uh, Chicago fans hate St. Louis pizza. Everybody hates Cincinnati chili. It's great. I love NL Central. Like it is just, it is just great, and it's hateful. And it's like y'all all from the Midwest. You all eat terrible food. Like, <laughs> you know, none of the cities in the NL Central are destination cities. Yeah, yeah, Chicago is nice, but it gets cold. St. Louis is probably the biggest city that people forget about. Mm. Ain't nobody think about Cincinnati in Milwaukee. Okay, it's Wisconsin. Like, <laughs> and then you got Pittsburgh. And everybody, nobody thinks about Pittsburgh. <laughs> you know, and, and, the, yeah. and the thing is, the Pirates used to mean something way back in the day. Yeah. All the way through to the Barry Bonds era and, and Bobby Bonilla. But, <laughs> yeah. but I love NL Central hate. But when, when you know, even uh, in the NFL, you're, you're uh, NFC East. Oh, you, hey, hey, I don't know if there's hatred like that kind of hatred. No, oh, man. Like, y'all's fans, uh, you got the Philly fans booing Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. You're cheering injuries to other players. Like, the, the, the NFC East is just different, man. There's just, like, we all talk about pro rivalries, but y'all NFC folks take it to a, a, a strange place. It's like it's mess. really dislike. It is really dislike, <laughs> which makes which makes it interesting. But when you look at, and I don't know how hockey works. We need we need Craig Bates to come on and tell us about hockey. I don't know if New York and Boston is at a rivalry. I don't I don't know I don't know. But I'm just saying when you look at the Major League Baseball, you look at the NFL. Those those divisions mean something. Mm-hmm. But the NBA, I just. <laughs> Because a lot of the best NBA rivalries aren't even within the same division. You know, you start rattling off, you know, all-time great rivalries. Uh, you know, going back to the 80s, Detroit, Boston, but they were in two different divisions. Yeah. You know, maybe mm-hmm. Boston, Philly, maybe. I, I don't yeah, know. That was, that, was, that was a thing back then, too. As far as same division, that was... That was heated. Yeah, yeah. Dr. J and Larry Bird choking each other. Oh, <laughs> man. Fingernails on some throats and some, oh, some scratch necks. And... 
uh, you know, and, and I'm not one of these people, oh, that's when it was basketball, because it wasn't basketball, but it was fun to watch. Yeah. I'm like, can, you've got Larry Bird and Dr. J fist fighting. Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine, like, Giannis and KD boxing, like, squaring up today? Like, for real, for real. Yeah, mm-hmm. not slap boxing, not grabbing, but, like, punching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put, throwing hands. Yes. Furniture moving. Exactly. <laughs> like Chuck and Ernie say. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, here's our guest right now. Colonist for the Lexington the Herald Leader, friend of the show. Gentleman been on with us before. Talking about Mark's story. Welcome, Mark. How you doing, man? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We sure do. It's been a little while. How's your summer going? It's been good. Um, took a couple of weeks off last year during the pandemic. Only took one week off the whole year. Uh, took two this year. Went to uh, South Carolina. Spent a little time in Hilton Head. A little time in Charleston. Came back through Asheville, North Carolina. So it was good. Hey, I, I've been to Hilton Head a few times. It is beautiful out there when you can sure get a little is. bit of space and look at the ocean. Yeah, I love Hilton Head because there's always a breeze coming in off the ocean. There are parts of South Carolina where it's like a hundred every day in the summer, but in Hilton Head, it's all that breeze always makes it feel cooler. Mm-hmm. See, it's the simple things. A nice breeze changes everything. It does make a difference. We <laughs> first time I was in Charleston, we were there a week. And this is not an exaggeration. It was 105 degrees the whole time. Goodness gracious. Yeah, that's no fun when you can't get out and about and you just staying cooped up just to survive the heat wave. Yeah, now, what? now in fairness, it wasn't like that this year in Charleston. It was nice. We had a good time. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you got a little bit of vacation in as we all try to get back to somewhat normal as as, as as we throw that phraseology out there mm-hmm. yeah i thought we were i i thought we were headed for pretty close to normal but the uh, i guess as the internet mem says uh, the delta variant is changing fall plans yeah speaking of plans i just saw this was announced a few hours ago kentucky's plan for football which is a, as far as masking and protocols and everything like that dramatically different from what we're seeing at LSU kind of where are you kind of sitting on what Mitch Barnhart and UK is doing at Kroger Field I was a little surprised I you know I you know I for whatever reason public health has become super controversial and really political but I thought the LSU plan made sense yeah, and I know, and, and this is the frustrating thing a lot of people are having. Like, depending on where you go, not even from state to state, but almost from neighborhood to neighborhood, everybody's doing something different. They've all kind of got data to back up what they're saying, so it's a little, a little overwhelming. Yeah, it's confusing. I mean, you know, I, I had stopped. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated, so I had stopped, you know, wearing masks. And now I've started taking masks with me when I go. And if I go inside someplace, I usually put it on. And, you know, obviously if, a st- you know, somebody has a sign up says, you know, this is mandatory, you know, I do it. But I've pretty much, you know, started wearing them again, like if I'm in the grocery store or whatever. Yeah. And, and for a while, you know, I had stopped once my vaccination, had, you know, had gone fully op- operational. 
Yep, change your plans like you said, for sure. I'm going to switch it up, and we'll definitely get back to Kentucky too, but you being a Dodgers fan, Mark, and, you know, y'all y'all knocked my braids out in seven last year en route to the title, so I, I begrudgingly give you congratulations. <laughs> How did it feel? Because you had, you had waited since 1988 for them to, to win another championship, so... You know, even though it was a shortened season and crazy circumstances, were you still just as ecstatic last year as you were in 88 when they won? Yes, yes, I was. I didn't care about the circumstances at all. If, you know, somebody, you know, says, well, that's not a real championship, you know, that's your opinion. I have no, <laughs> I have no problem with that, but that doesn't affect how I feel about it at all. It, it, and, and, I mean, the Braves had the Dodgers on the ropes, and that Will Smith off Will Smith home run is one of the greatest moments because that, that From, totally yeah. that series around and is really you know that propelled the Dodgers to the World Series championship. It sure did, and and Braves fans are still still get queasy and and, and nervous, and they're still irritable whenever Will Smith comes in now because he's still a little shakier, and they won't from time to time even this season do you do you feel if you flash back before 2020 you know when you they made it to the world series against boston and then houston do you feel they got cheated out of both of those you know i thought the red sox were just a better team than the dodgers in 18 but as you know i mean this is me speaking as a fan and not in any sense as a journalist but yeah the, the, the astros make me mad i i felt like if they had been playing if Ever, if both teams had been playing on the up and up, I think the Dodgers would have won that 17 World Series. Yeah, I can't say that I blame you for you know for for having a little grudge and being a little ticked off. Now, as a, as a follow up, Bart, we talked about this before you got on, and when you're a fan of a professional franchise like you are of the Dodgers, we are of our teams. I think at least the Dodgers always, as a, from an outside perspective. It always looked like they were trying to win. You know, they had that stretch of seven or eight rookies of the year. You know, they're trying to sign some some big players that don't always work out. As a fan, is that what you like to see your team trying to do instead of tanking to build for the future? Give me something to cheer for as we chase that championship. You know, it's the Dodgers under their previous ownership. Remember, they went bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> think about think about how incompetent you have to be to uh, make to drive the Los Angeles Dodgers into bankruptcy. But yeah. um, under the current ownership, the Guggenheim Guggenheim partnership, they um yeah they 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 play to win, and you know it's a and it's also a really really well run franchise in that they they make smart moves. They they you know are really serious about player development. That the big trade they made this year at the deadline, where they got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, they were able to make that trade because you know they had highly ranked prospects, one of whom they had gotten from Cincinnati in a trade, and and, and had those guys available. So uh, that's a roundabout way of saying yes. I feel very grateful that when I was six years old, I latched onto a team that tries to win pretty much every year. Because yeah. I just can't imagine rooting for a team where it's like. They're just going through the motions. Like uh, my fiance is a Cubs fan, and they're just devastated over what happened over like three days, you know, back in July. Like 
how do you just give up on winning? What is, you know, because the, the tickets don't get cheaper. You know, the merchandise doesn't get cheaper. You, you got to give somebody, you got to give folks something to look forward to. Well, the rationale, you know, just the devil's advocate is, you know, in pro sports, you, you want to stay away from the, quote, trap of the middle where you sort of get caught in mediocrity and you're too good to rise because, you know, you're not getting high draft picks, which is not quite as relevant to baseball as to the other two major pro sports. But you get caught in the middle and you're, you're not bad enough to get high draft picks, but you're not good enough to, to win the whole thing. And, and in fairness, the Cubs, you know, they did tear it down when Theo Epstein first got there and then built it up. And I assume that's what they're trying to do again. But can you imagine being a Baltimore fan? I mean, they were yeah. brutal for three straight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Baltimore, like the Twins, you know, and if you're and that's my thing is if you're a baseball fan and your team's not good at all, that's a lot of games to have to, you know, check your ESPN app. You know, that's a lot of games to just be upset about your team not winning. At least in football, you're like, okay, three months, I'm done. But baseball is a long grind. You know, I think that I think that's a good point. And I think what happens is I think people just tune out. And to me, the risk for baseball is you have these teams, you know, checked out, you know, tearing it down, you know, to build it back up. But you're going to lose people, you know, sort of checking out in the meantime. And I thought I had read that one of the proposals – it looks like, you know, baseball and the, the, the Major League Baseball Players Association are headed for a pretty contentious uh, negotiation here uh, after this season. And, and I thought one of the things I'd read was that the owners were going to propose a $1 million or a $100 million uh, a minimum payroll to at least try to, you know, remove some of the impetus for all this uh, tanking. Yeah, that'll be interesting for sure. Had you been out to Dodger Stadium to to see the Dodgers in person? I've been one time in wow. 1987. I what I would my what I would like to do sometime is just go on a like when the Dodgers when they you know they redid the schedules to emphasize you know division games they don't come east that much. But what I would like to do is just go on a road trip with them and you know go like from you know Chicago to Pittsburgh to Philadelphia or whatever and just do a whole you know road swing with them someday yeah that'd be awesome so when you when you took the game in out there did you was the stadium what you thought i mean you're you're a grown man so it wasn't like you had the well six i was your own perspective but how was, I was it? i was pretty young in 1987 i was i guess 20 23 so uh yeah it was it was what i expected and that's and cool he on the tv that shot you know looks out over the the outfield and you see like the the the, the palm trees in the outfield yeah. where we're sitting that was sort of the view you had so yeah it was, it was cool that's awesome that's awesome um which high school did you go to i'm not even when you're because you're from I lexington am, i am not from lexington i'm from hardin county i am in i graduated from north hardin in 1982 which was the year paul andrews hit the famous oh, half-court wow. shot that us in the finals of the state championship game. Wow. All right. So playing sports, I guess two-part question. What was your favorite sport to play growing up and what was your best sport? Well, like a lot of people, I think, who become sports writers, I <laughs> loved sports and wasn't very good at them, so I didn't really get it out of my system. <laughs> um, my favorite sport growing up was basketball. 
uh, I wasn't good enough to make the team. Uh, but in the case of our high school, by the time we got to high school, we were one of the best. We had one of the best teams in the state. So you could actually have been a really good player and not necessarily played for us. Uh, I was. You can't tell this by looking at me now, but I was actually a distance runner in high school. Wow, man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, whipping it back to Kentucky, we're all anxiously waiting the football season to start. Um, you know, Stoop spoke yesterday and, and talked about the you know the hiccups with the the guys at the the fight with you know, Tisdale and everything that's happened with those developments. We've seen a few things before Lloyd Tubman and things of that nature, but there hasn't been a a whole heck of a lot, but now we've had Boo Knight, Brezowitz, and now this instance with the six players. How do you think the perception is, or does he have to reevaluate things, or this is some, you know, just par for the course for a football program? What's your opinion of these latest developments? Well, I agree with you that in the big picture, they have not had a disproportionate number of off the field incidents involving players. Now, obviously, you know, and I actually wrote this, if I were Stoops, what would really upset me with the two, you know, the one coach and one one administrative aide within the program having interactions with law enforcement is it it, it has sort of built an impression so that when you had this, you know, this fight incident, it sort of feels like a trend when in fact, you know, it's the adults that are two thirds of that. (laughs) <laughs> and, and 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 that, if I were Stoops, I would find highly frustrating. Yeah, um, definitely agree, for sure. Um, what are your expectations heading into the season? We've we've seen the schedule. We know how it lays out. Now the dust is settled on Will Levis being the quarterback. What do you think? Best case scenario, worst case scenario. What do you? How do you think it'll play out if they well, reach their potential? I think you know. I think there are a couple of big questions. Obviously, the quarterback play is one of them. The book on Will Levis at Penn State was that he had just a cannon for an arm, but he lacked touch and wasn't wasn't an accurate passer. And I actually asked him about that the day he met the media after being named the starter and and to his credit he said when he came to Penn State that was pretty much true but that he'd worked a lot and, and, and had done a lot of things to develop in the areas where he had been weak and you know I think it was publicized that he worked this summer with a like a quarterback guru from Canada and who had worked I think with Tanner Morgan the Minnesota, University of Minnesota quarterback and, and, and Morgan had showed you know pretty significant improvement in his, his passing percentage so you know, that is, you know, that to me is the big, the biggest of the big questions. You know, can't, you know, what kind of quarterback play are they going to get? If they get good quarterback play, I have a hard time seeing why this shouldn't be a really good offense. You know, obviously the, the re- receivers are considered a question, but I think with Josh Ali and adding Wandale Robinson, you've got two proven guys. And, and while I think Keaton Upshaw was a big loss, I think they've got pretty good tight ends that they're going to actually use based on just you know, how the Rams play with the new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, coming from Los Angeles. To me, the biggest question defensively, and this is right behind the quarterback play, is just you know pa- the pass rush. You know, last year, mm-hmm. they did not make very many disruptive plays at the line of scrimmage, and that was off a defense that you know had five guys drafted. 
So, you know, can, you know, can they find that, you know, this year you don't have a playmaking, you know, a, a, well, you may have it, but we don't know that they have a playmaking middle linebacker, the caliber of Jamin Davis. And you also lost both your starting cornerbacks who were both NFL draft picks. So there's, if anything, there's more need to be able to get into the backfield and disrupt things. And, you know, if JJ Weaver were a hundred percent healthy, you know, I think that, I don't think that's as nearly as big a worry, but you know, until he gets to that point, I think that's your concern. So if they find answers in those two areas, I think the schedule by SEC standards is pretty manageable. So, I mean, if everything went right, you know, I don't think it's impossible they could win 10 games. Now, how often does the season come when everything goes right? So, right. You know, and, I, and, and, to, and to finish answering your question, I think the worst case scenario would be you know, six and six kind of year. I think that's sort of your range, you know, six wins to, to, to possibly nine or ten. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, the lack of a pass rush, you know, because, you know, offense, we know the pass, they were, they were last in passing. They were last in the SEC in sacks. And to still not give up that many explosive plays overall and not give up a lot of 40-point games without having a pass rush says a lot about what that defense did last year and if they get a pass rush if a Jordan Wright or a J.J. Weaver or you know Josh Pascal, you know blows up and has a, a breakout type season that bodes even better for the secondary with what they've already been doing yeah I mean they Kentucky has had a good you know it took a little longer in the Mark Stoops era for the defense to get good than I expected, given Mark's defensive background, mm-hmm. but really since 2018, you know, the year Josh Allen blew up, you know, they've had it even since you know Josh left. They've been good defensively the last three seasons. So, you know, if you're a Kentucky fan, you you hope you're working from that ba- that baseline, and then you add, as you said, you know, you find some pass rush. Yeah, it, it, if this is how good. Uh, Mark Stoops has done. You know, I'm in Iowa now, moving uh, <laughs> to be with my my fiance here in Iowa. And you know, Mark Stoops played at Iowa. And you know how we do those games where like who's going to replace Cal? Like who's going to be that guy? Mark Stoops' name comes up to replace Kirk Ferentz. You know, I've had people ask me about Stoops, so I think we need to recognize Stoops has done a pretty good job here in Kentucky. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I think that's an interesting, you know, hypothetical. Because if you think about it, you know, Mark Stoops didn't grow up in Iowa. He's from Youngstown, Ohio. And while he and his brothers, you know, or he and two of his brothers, I think, also played at Iowa. You know, they're not from there. Mark Stoops has been in Kentucky longer than he was in Iowa. So, you know, know, I've never actually asked him about that. But, you know, I've always thought, I think Kentucky is a pretty good situation now. Now, maybe it's not quite as good a situation once Texas and Oklahoma come on, but who knows? But I think it's a pretty good situation. You look at the money he's making and you know the fact that he is close to the state of Ohio, which gives him a kind of an extra recruiting base. You know, to me, it would take a, you know, a, like a, a, a Michigan caliber job or something like that for it to be clearly a, a, a better situation than he has right now at Kentucky. You know, you know, you know have, I say that with the disclaimer, you know, I don't know what his feelings are toward his alma mater. You know, yeah. Like I said, right. he's, not from, he's not from Iowa. You know, it's not like, you know, say Neil Brown, who is from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, first that. 
but you know, so so I don't know. But it is interesting, and 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 you do, you know, I've heard Kentucky fans talk about that Iowa scenario too. Yeah, I just that was one of the things that kind of popped off when I got there. Like, well, you know, what do you think about Stoops? I'm like, oh, I never made, I never thought about that connection. But I, I'm with you. I don't think he would leave for Iowa because I was what maybe the fourth or fifth best team in the in the Big Ten. And how are you going to leapfrog, you know, Michigan, Ohio State? But uh, one question I wanted to have for you: We've had kind of talk past each other on Twitter about this. It's in light of the, the COVID regulations. Where do you sit on Mitch Barnhart as an athletic director? Like he's he's he seems to be, in my mind, he doesn't get the the kind of accolades you would think for what he's done with the program from top to bottom. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think there's. I think that's an interesting observation. I think he's built Kentucky into something it has never been before, which is a genuine, bona fide, really good, all-around SEC athletic department, which is something Kentucky has never been at any other time in its history. Now, you know, I think part of the reason that, you know, I think there have been some big, some major coaching hires that didn't work out. And I think, you know, when that happens, you know, an AD, you know, you know, there's going to be some criticism and for whatever reason i just you know i think mitch is more of a ceo you know came you know type as opposed to it used to be you know athletic directors a lot of them were former coaches and guys who coached at a high level in college are used to doing you know public relations and are often good at it and, and you know for whatever reason i just i think some fans just don't you know don't don't i don't know relate to him in all situations and then I also think part of it is, you know, just, you know, alcohol sales seems to be a big deal with some people. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. I think the decision not to sell alcohol in a college sports stadium is defensible. In fact, you know, I'm not a big drinker. And if I'm sitting out there, I'd about as soon not be around people who are drinking a lot. But if you're going to allow people in the luxury seating to have alcohol and not at least sell beer out in the general you know, population, I understand why that gets under people's skin. Yeah, and I understand those kinds of things. But the point I'm always making, I know people see me on Twitter all the time. It's like his job is to make all the athletic teams as successful as they can be. And I know that you've uh, written about the Director's Cup and Kentucky has gone from when I was in school, which was way back when, you know, being in like the 80s and 90s overall, they've been a top 20 program for the last decade plus. And I'm like, you want to get rid of him, but we just won two national titles. Like, you're arguing about the small stuff and kind of missing the bigger picture, I think. Yeah, I think that's a fair observation. And you look at the just concluded school year last year, as you mentioned, they won two national championships, two team NCAA championships, something they had never done in the same school year before, which obviously were rifle in women's volleyball. They won the SEC championship in women's swimming and diving, which they had never done before. And then you look at the success of UK athletes in the Olympics, UK yeah. current or former, which was you know primarily the, the, the track and field program and the incredible hurdling program that the former Kentucky track coach, Edric Floreal had built. And those, you know, those athletes had cycled through and were just did amazing things. And then the rifle program, and you know, so yeah, I mean, I think 
I think what you say about you know people being upset about some smaller things and not giving enough credit for the overall big picture, I think that's a valid observation. Yeah, and, and you can't drive along Alumni Drive and not look at updated Kroger Field, Kentucky Proud Park, John Crop Stadium, and the Bell Complex. You can't look at the renovations being done at Memorial Coliseum and not think, oh, this place is headed in the right direction. You know, that's that's what did I just scratched my head about that. We're arguing about the uh, uh, checkerboard patterns and not whether or not the teams are being successful. Well, I, I think the uproar over the checkerboard patterns goes to how much people in Kentucky don't like Tennessee. Because I think yeah. that I think I think those terms are attractive, and you know, and, and but people associated with, with Tennessee with the end zones, I think at Neyland Stadium, and a lot of people don't want it, a lot of people in Kentucky don't want to be associated with Tennessee. That's true. I, I thought it was a good thing with the checkerboards, especially when it was sprinkled over all the other uniforms. I thought that was a pretty good branding motif, but I think it got lost in that Tennessee hatred, like you were saying. Yeah, like just just as a uniform, just aesthetically, I, I like the checkerboards. I, I know that makes me uh, a heretic in, in the market. <laughs> <laughs> what what mark is your your the, your favorite? column or a handful of columns you've ever written where when you finished it you said I I nailed that one I really I knocked that one out of the park what's your the favorite piece you've ever written my two favorite columns I've ever written were both quite a while ago at this point but uh, the first one was I when I was a kid I had a pair of lucky socks and I put on the lucky socks before every game of the 1978 NCAA tournament and um, they, you may recall, they won the national championship, for which I felt personally responsible. So many years later, in the Herald Leader, I just ran a prompt: "What do you do to help Kentucky win?" And I got all, just all these amazing stories. Uh, a woman had like dropped something one time underneath her coffee table during a UK basketball game, and while she was down under the table trying to get it out, they started on a big rally and, and, and came from way behind to win a game. So for the rest of her life, if Kentucky was in trouble, she got underneath the coffee table. <laughs> there was, I don't, you remember during the 1998 NCAA tournament, the comeback cats, they were way behind the Duke, you know, down 17 with less than 10 minutes to go in the game. And there was this family watching the game and some of the family members, you know, just kind of got disgusted and went outside to do something. So of course, you know, sure enough, here comes the rally and the, the and what, because they had left the house and Kentucky started playing well. The family that was still inside the house locked them out so they couldn't come back. <laughs> and there were there was like just hundreds of the, those. Well, that's an exaggeration, but there were tons of those kind of stories. And, and I just thought that was a cool story that at that time I hadn't seen a lot of other people write about. And then my other one is very different. It was there. There was a player at Eastern Kentucky, a basketball player named Zach Ingles, who was on their 2005 OVC tournament championship team for Travis Ford. And Zach, I don't, I'm sure no people don't remember this game. They were playing Austin P in the OVC tournament finals, and Eastern had a big lead. And Eastern hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in forever. I don't think they had gone since 1979. So they had a big lead, and they were blowing it. I mean, they were blowing it, blowing it, blowing it. So it's down to one, and you it just kind of get the feeling, you know, this thing is, it, it's slipped away, they're going to lose. 
And then Zach Ingles hits like this long three-pointer and the ball goes in the basket and it, it pops out and it goes back in and that puts them up four and gives them just enough cushion so they win, go to the NCAA tournament. So long story, um, next week we decide, you know, let's do a story, you know, we should do a story about Eastern, you know, so we, you know, let's do the kid that hit the shot that more or less won the game for him. So I look in his bio and it just, you know, and it says his parents are, I forget his parents' names, but you know, hypothetically, Jack Engel and the late Mary Engel. So I go over and ask, you know, Zach, you know, you know what's the story? What happened with your mom? And, and long story short, he was a high school coach's son and had been in the high school gym with his dad before a game. And he just noticed that his, all of a sudden his dad just left the gym out of nowhere right before a game. And, you know, Zach's like, this is, this is messed up. Well, come to find out the mom had, and, and one of Zach's sisters had been in a horrible car accident. And the mom passed away. The sister was in bad shape in the hospital. So Zach is like a kid, you know, tw- you know, 11, 12 years old. So he's in the, the, you know, his dad is spending all his time in the hospital and Zach's, you know, just, you know, just goes in the gym because it's the only place that feels normal to him. So, okay, Zach tells me the story. Then I call the dad and the dad tells me, you know, it, it, dad tells me this story the night before the wreck. Zach had played in a junior pro game. And the dad said, you know, usually at those I'm busy, I don't have time to go sit, but for some reason I went and sat with my wife. And the dad said, you know, that was the best I've ever seen Zach play. And I know this sounds bizarre, you know, he was a little kid, but it was like he was possessed by Larry Bird. And that night in the house, Zach Zach tells his mom, mom, someday I'm gonna play in the NCAA tournament. So about this, this guy who hits the shot puts a school that never goes to the NCAA tournament into the tournament had vowed to his mom the night before she died that he was going to play in the NCAA tournament. Ooh. And that, that story just gets chills. In fact, it was so good, it scared me. So I called the dad back the next day. I said, let's make sure we're, you know, this is all accurate. And right. The, uh-huh. For the wreck, this is what happened. And the dad said, yeah, that, 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 that's, it's all true. So, right. and that, that story, I mean, that to me is the best story I've ever written. Man, that is, yeah, that is, I can imagine you hearing it from them, just you telling it now. So, well, yeah. but I got chills and, you know, I was teared up because of the mom, but just, you know, the night before she died, you know, he, you know, he, a little kid says, mom, I'm going to play in the NCAA tournament. And, and the dad, his interpretation on it, the reason he went up and sat with his wife at that junior program when he never did was it was just sort of God's hand, you know, he, knowing that the, the, the mom wasn't going to be there, sort of giving her a glimpse of what was what was to come. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing those. Um, I, on a lighter note, just... <laughs> I put a little poll out on our Cats Talk Wednesday Twitter account. Y'all be sure to follow at Cats Talk WED. In y'all's opinion, both of you guys, what's more laughable or mind boggling as far as a former cat not being on an NFL team if you had to pick between Austin McGinnis and Drake Jackson? Well, I'm going to go Austin McGinnis because I think Drake, Drake just in terms of size is lacking some things that NFL teams want 
from interior linemen. And I also think the fact that he is primarily a center, usually in the NFL, they want positional versatility with offensive linemen. So I sort, you know, I think he's really good. And, you know, I kind of still think he may figure out a way to, 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 to make a team at some point. But I, I don't get Austin McGinnis at all. Because, yeah. you know, to me, he's one of the best, you know, field place kickers I've seen. Clutches can be, you know, has a, you know, can hit, you know, deep field goals. And I see guys kicking in the NFL all the time that I would, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't 70% the kicker he is. I don't understand why nobody gives, you know, nobody gives him a chance to be their primary kicker. And I, I definitely get it about Drake Jackson, but then... I swear, I need to look it up. If I'm not mistaken, we were watching the NFL draft. I could have swore like a center got drafted. I forget which round from Illinois. All the analysts were raving about how good he was, how technical, how this, how that. And I'm, I swear, if he wasn't maybe like an inch taller than Drake and just four or five pounds heavier, he wasn't. He was virtually the same size. And I mean, we're really quibbling about Drake's size when this center from Illinois gets drafted in whatever round it was, and he literally, it's not like he towers over Drake. I mean, but that's that's how nitpicky they are, I guess. Well, they are very strict on, you know, kind of those kind of guidelines. I mean, the, the other thing Drake has going for him, he's smart as, a, you know, he's smart as it gets. And you, 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 know, you would think that would be an advantage he could potentially parlay too, but, you know, I... I have, you know, I read in lead up to the draft and stuff, people would talk about, you know, how much they liked him, but the concern was, you know, not prototypical size and, you know, they weren't sure they could play him at guard as well as center. And, you know, those were two, th- two things working against him. Yeah. Um, you, for the Hurl Leader, you do every year the Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year and, We've been honored to be part of that for the past two or three years because you send us a ballot and we can't thank you enough for that. John Schlarman was the winner last year and I haven't done many ballots, but that's last year was the first year I didn't even read all the names when I got to it. And I was like, well, there's my number one. And I hadn't done that previously. Uh, what did you think seeing the first steps to kind of honor him at Kroger Field with the banner and, and everything that they're going to continue to do going forward no i think it's good i mean obviously you know john and his story touched a lot of people and you know i think what made it so inspiring was you know even though he ultimately you know succumbed to his cancer you know cancer didn't beat him i mean he lived the lot you know he lived his normal life you know all, you know almost till the very end and, and i think that's to me that's what make, made his story just so resonant was the guy who said okay i've got this but, you know, you know, as long as I'm going to be here, you're not cheating me out of doing the things I love. And I think, I think, you know, I think people responded to that story. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the year Lynn Bowden won it. To me, I don't know, maybe to you, since you do it every year and handle it, maybe it was no big deal. But it seemed like there was a lot of chirping from maybe more Louisville media as to well maybe Lynn shouldn't have been the winner and there was some back and forth and some you know conversations on Twitter a little bit of bickering has that happened before or was that maybe more of a rise in that than it had been in previous years when a winner has been announced 
Well, I mean, there are often years where you know there are more than one you know deserving you know candidate. You know that particular year, you know, it was interesting. I thought there were three potential winners. Thought Lynn Bowden was one. I thought John Morant, coming off his sophomore year at Murray State, was another potential winner. And then obviously Lamar Jackson, who was the NFL MVP. And you know, for the sports figure, it just came down to what you vote on. You know, if you vote on the person who had the biggest impact on sports in Kentucky, then I think you know Lynn or Ja would have been you know clear would have been good choices. Now, if you vote on the person. With the credible tie to the state of Kentucky, who had the 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 best individual sports year, it's hard to argue with NFL MVP. So that all came down to just kind of you know how you vote. The history of the Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year award is that usually, not every year, but usually the winner will be somebody inside competing inside the state of Kentucky. And you know Terry and I and everybody else that votes have to eventually trim our ballot down to 10 and then decide how you're going to rank the 10. How do you, how tough is it for you all when you send out the list of nominees? There's obviously some nominees that don't even make the two-page list. How do you all determine that? How oh, tough is that? It's it's hard. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, you know, we, as you mentioned, we send out, you know, two 8 by 11 pages filled with you know, suggest suggested nominees, and you're not obligated to vote for who we suggest. But that you know, we try to you know, how, you know we try to get the, the strongest candidates on that list. And, and these are you know, two eight by eight, you know, eight and a half by eleven sheets that very small type. But yeah. still, I mean, it's incredibly hard to cut it down to that. I mean, if I sent out the list of people that we considered that aren't on the final list, it would be impressive in you know, pretty much any year. And this coming year, or the current year we're in, is going to be incredibly difficult. And in fact, I may not cut it to two, I may go a little longer. Because remember, a lot of the, uh, the, the fall sports from the 2021 school year were you know, moved back. So, you know, there'll be you know, or two UK volleyball seasons, for instance. Right. There's the national championship season, and then there's going to be this coming season. And, you know, Lindsey Wilson football won the national championship at NAIA, and they played, you know, in the spring. So, you know, they and, you know, in a normal year, they would have been on the ballot last year. Well, that moves forward, but they're going to play again this year. So, yeah, this is going to be, and then you have an Olympic year. So this is going to be, you know, the the hardest uh, sports figure of the year ballot to make ever. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got a national championship volleyball run with you know a player of the year. You've got Cindy McLaughlin. Like, how do you not vote for her? Setting a world record in the Olympics. Like, oh my goodness. I'm not looking forward to the end of the year already. <laughs> we can't imagine how you feel, Mark. It, it's it's going to be a challenging year, just in terms of voting and yeah, compiling the ballot this year is going to be a massive undertaking. Yeah, for sure. When we can't thank you enough for taking the time to hop on here with us and talk about all these topics and all the great work that you do and been doing. Your playing days back at North Harden and what type of player you were. You gave us a scouting report on yourself and everything, man. We appreciate it, Mark. Yeah, the, the scouting report was no talent at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed it. 
Oh, thank you so much, man. Hope you have a good rest of the evening, and we'll definitely keep checking out all your good work at the Herald Leaf. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. All right. Mark Story, Kentucky.com, Kentucky Sports, columnist for the Herald Leader, lets us vote each year for the sports figure of the year, which he just reminded us how brutal that's going to be, TV. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you got to have Sid on the list, but wow. That just, just wow. Yeah, uh, and Gabby and, and yeah. Coach Skinner and <laughs> yeah. Woo. Uh, because, because inevitably, what always happens is you start reading, and you're oh, like for this year, for example. Okay, we're like okay, Sid, Gabby, okay. But then there's you know at the high school level, I'm not as locked in as I used to be. Then I'll like read a blurb, and then I'll like do a little bit of research. I'm like, oh my goodness, like yeah. wow, like you know so that's what makes it hard is it's sports figure of the year so it's high school college professional and it's open like you were talking about uh and it's all about interpretation yeah you know the the louisville folks got mad because you know lamar jackson didn't get the award and i always take it to mean me personally what did you do representing a place in in the state that's how i always take it when we voted the last i think three years you know yeah that's my interpretation so i would have voted for lamar jackson's heisman trophy season differently Mm -hmm. than i would have rated his nfl mvp season Mm, yeah. But by the same token, Anthony Davis in 2012 gets a higher vote than Anthony Davis in 2020 win the NBA championship. That's just do, how I look at it. You do what they're doing within the state or while they're in actually competing in the state. That's how that's how I mm-hmm. rank it when we're talking about Kentucky sports figure. Right. Uh, because now, you know, that being said, uh it's going to be really hard to not put Sidney McLaughlin on the list, right? Like, right. Uh-huh. That, that's going to be, and I know it, that may sound a little hypocritical, I guess, but that's just how I approach it for, for me. Uh, got nothing to do with what, uh, you know, Lamar is a Louisville guy. I've put a lot of Louisville coach, I put Coach Walls. Uh, on the on my ballot, I think the first year when the Cardinals made the Final Four, you know, I yeah. I, I, I I try not. I've had Asia Wilson. Yeah, uh, I think she was in my top four or five last year. Uh, I mm-hmm. think so. I, I give Louisville all the props in the world because they've had some really good athletes yeah. come through. Yeah, I, you know, I usually don't rivalry when I'm yeah. doing. I just kind of go statewide, and and for those that do, you know, there's. You know, little enough Louisville media that vote for Louisville and Kentucky vote for Kentucky, but I just usually kind of put all that to the side and just look at the state as a whole and who's showing out. <laughs> I try to approach it, but it's it's always fun. It's always been tough. To, you know, we only been doing it for three years, uh, 
last year, you know, Coach Schlammer being number one, that was that was easy. I, I was like, boom, that's forget about it. He's going to the winner. Uh, the year before was, you know, I think when Josh Allen was on there and and all that, it was it was tough for me for that particular year. But it's it's always fun to do it for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of high school too, and this is I'm kind of backtracking a little bit because I hadn't mentioned it, and I guess backtracking to kind of in May, uh, Eddie Creech who was the coach of the Harley County Black Bears been on the show several times he stepped down as coach because he's got a young son and daughter he wanted to spend more time with them he's still the assistant principal but he just stepped stepped aside stepped away from the coaching and it's just you know teaching and being an administrator educator and raising his family so he wasn't the coach this year and then with that kind of led into my dad when he got injured that was in may as well and then passed away you know first part of june so never talked about eddie when he resigned so he stepped away as the coach of black bears and amos mccrary who was from harlan county who went to everts which was a school that consolidated with cumberland where i went kwood and everts and that's what harlan county is now so Amos McCreary was down in Atlanta and Georgia and was a really good coach down there. Uh, was a great player for Everett's back in the day. So he was named the new coach and they just played their first game Friday and beat South Laurel uh, 59 to 26. So congratulations to Coach McCreary on that. And all the best to Eddie as he is stepping aside to spend more time with his family. And congratulations to Coach McCreary. I don't know him. But he got his first win Friday. So everything that happened all summer didn't mention all that. So just kind of caught it all up just now. Yeah, I wish I was locked into what my high school was doing, but I couldn't tell you. So. <laughs> I kind of glanced on, on Twitter and it's still not as locked in as I used to be when I was living in Kentucky. And I, but I, I still try to keep up here and there and see who's tweeting out what and um, would always try to go back to a game which that's going to be weird now because we always go with with dad but um, so that'll be different this time around but congratulations to the Black Bears on on getting their first win this past Friday I know there's some games like since we're kind of back where we were last year we're seeing some stuff get cancelled already there's some cancellations going on already because you know like Mark said, we thought we were going to be out of this, and we're not really. So it's, it's still kind of like deja vu all over again, like Yogi Berra used to say. But um, we'll we'll just keep going one day at a time and trying to be as safe as possible. We talk about the spaces yesterday. You know, you you and you and JD Hall, who was on here last week, y'all got a good thing going with the spaces and getting a lot of people listening and tuning in and it was so good to hear Michelle's voice last night gotta shout her out you know yeah was, okay because like that was she called back on the blog talk cats talk Wednesday when she was in line to get Tyler Hughes's autograph that's the only time I'd ever heard her voice until last night so I messenger her it's so good to hear your voice and she's you know far and away our, our number one fan I logged on for a minute, hopped off, and then 
jump back on. But I heard you saying something like that you aren't a dog person or you are becoming one or are generally not a dog person. Was that what the conversation was? I, I was kind of in and out on that part. I, I'm not a dog person. I wasn't a dog person. I had a dog for maybe about six months when I was younger, a dog named Sophie. I, and I just, I just didn't make a connection to the dog. I just, and I had no pets growing up. I just wasn't a pet person. And I would just see people being ridiculous about these dogs and blah, 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 blah. You know, okay, you know, dogs is that, that's your thing. That, that's good. Uh-huh. You know, and all these people like, if you don't look like dogs and you're not a real human being without a soul, like, well, oh, calm down, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but Kate's got a dog, Sammy, and uh, he has worked his way into my heart. And it's ridiculous because he doesn't do anything. A King Charles Cavalier, but he doesn't do anything. So when I mean doesn't do anything, he just sleeps and eats. But here, here I am. I, I talk to this dog, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm taking pictures of the dog. I FaceTime a dog, and I'm like, who, who am I? Like, you know, I've gone from not being a dog person to, you know, carrying around a dog like a baby. I've gone from making fun of running to now I'm running. Like what? What is? What happened to me? You know, 20, 2010 TB would be very surprised at where I am in twenty twenty one. Yeah. Like, oh, you run? <laughs> you yeah. you you hold on to a dog? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that and I was like, I agree wholeheartedly. And it was a little bit different, I guess, for because when my sister and I were growing up, I don't know. Seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in that range. My dad had had a dog that he had found when he was 17. His name was Fluff. So dad finds him when he's 17. So Fluff is already seven, seven-ish years old by the time I'm born. And so, you know, I've become a toddler. I'm three, four, five. You know, he's Fluff just already been around. And so I was kind of attached to him and, you know, uh, grew up with him and, uh, you know, pet him and, and, you know, was was attached to him. So he got older because, I mean, look, he was already, you know, up in age. Yeah, I'm, I'm like nine or ten, so he's going to be around 16, 17 at this time, moving slow and, and older. And there was a back alley where we lived. And you know he was back there, and he would kind of move around and take his time and go to his house. And there was a lady that was driving, delivering papers, and she flew down the alley too fast. Everybody else kind of knew, just take your time, let him move out the way. And she caught him and hit him, and and it hurt his hip, and ended up having to put him to sleep because he was so old. So I was attached at that point, but after that, I was like, no, I'm not going to get attached to animals again not not like that so that's that's what kind of did it for me because i'm like look it's gonna it's hard enough when you lose family i'm not gonna do this with pets anymore and that's kind of it's weird it's quirky i go to people's house and their cat wants to rub up on me or their dog wants to jump on my lap and i just I, look i'm like you keep your distance i'm no offense to your dog i just don't get attached to anybody's animal anymore i just kind of y'all leave me alone i leave y'all alone 
kind of like you were growing up. You didn't connect with it. I don't connect anymore. <laughs> because it's, it's bad enough with aunts or uncles or family members. I'm, I'm not doing it with pets. And you, and you see Facebook posts. These pets are just as much as part of people's lives as, as family. Oh, we had to put down Flossie today. 16 years, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I'm not doing it with a pet anymore. And I, I know it's quirky, and I'm, I might be on down that hill alone, but that's just kind of how I do it. I, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I used to be that, but uh, let me just be clear. I'm not a fan of all dogs. Like, if I see a dog walking down the street, I'm not cuckoo-cooing another dog. Yeah. I like my dog. Uh-huh. Because, okay. like I said, Sammy, he doesn't do anything. Uh-huh. So, I don't want a dog that's going to run and yip and yip and yip. I don't want a dog when these big ones going to slobber on me. I like yeah. this King Charles Cavalier because he doesn't do anything. Yeah. Barks a little bit when he's hungry. You know, that's about it. Uh-huh. That's it. So, yeah, we had never... You know, we get random on here, especially when it's summertime. We had never talked about the position on dogs or, you know, the viewpoint on pets and all that. So I heard y'all talking about that in the space. I said, I got to ask TV about that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a big time fan. I'm like, I'm not one of these, like, like I said, I'm not going to talk to the dogs at the when I'm on my run and stuff like that. I yeah. like one specific dog. Right. Let me Out, let me be let me be clear. Outside of Sammy, you know, you ain't messing with nobody else. That's it. Yeah, that that's a correct statement. He's an exception to the rule. He's become that, that's, that's correct. <laughs> one thing we had talked about too, man. Uh, you know, friend of the show. You got this man on the show a while back, Kyle Tucker with the Athletic. I don't know if you saw the piece he wrote reflecting on on Terrence Clark and, and talking with people who knew him as a kid in Boston, his kindergarten teacher uh, just uh, a really touching story just like Mark Story talking about the touching story he wrote but the picture of him holding the butterfly and she didn't know he had gone on to be a five star recruit and going to Kentucky she, she kept track of some students but she didn't even worry about Terrence because she knew he was going to be fine the perspective from his kindergarten teacher was was amazing, uh, and it was cool how Cal kind of put all that together and, and portrayed that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I saw that, and uh, it's one of those things you, we, we shouldn't need reminders that these kids are number one kids mm-hmm. and number two they're people. We shouldn't need these reminders, but I'm glad when we get them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was so cool, just the the smile that we saw when, and even when he was hurt on the sideline, waving the towel, that electric smile that you know lit up the room, that lit up that locker room. You know, Sharif Cooper was talking, you know, who went to Auburn, was talking about how tight they were, and you know, you coming up you becoming a blue chip type player, he's becoming a blue chip type player. You're in the same recruiting class. Everybody's competing. Ain't nobody showing anybody love. Terrence was showing these dudes love. Oh man, I like your game and this and complimenting them. And, and that was the exception to the rule. That didn't happen. It's a testament to him again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just a great story. Again, it's still it's going to be one of those things that I think we all wrestle with. Is the you know. Uh, 
the kind of what if with Terrence Clark. You know, what yeah, if he right. what if he hadn't been injured? Would this year have been different? You know, and then you know, even bigger than that is you know a young person losing their life like that. That 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 just it it hurts. You know, mm-hmm. it was uh, just Kobe's birthday the other day, and, and just thinking about man, it's still weird that that Kobe's not here. Yeah, absolutely. He's another August person like yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Kyle Tucker does great stuff. I always enjoy uh, reading reading what what he writes and what he tweets because I I think and I've heard folks talking about the uh, interview, if you want to call it interview, the sit down and talk between Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. Oh yeah. And uh, I enjoyed it because you know we typically get these sit downs years later, mm-hmm. like Shaq and Kobe. Mm-hmm. You know they've both been out of the league for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got some sit downs with like Isaiah Thomas, the real Isaiah Thomas, and like other <laughs> people, right? Like, but it's always they're old and gray. they're you know they're not playing right so it's all reflective Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the conversation uh, because these guys are still playing you know they were just on the Olympic team together Mm -hmm. and so I've heard some critiques from some media folks that you know know, Draymond didn't ask follow up questions or this was uh, kind of a dog and pony show for these two guys. I thought it was a pretty real conversation. I did not go in expecting either one to to grill the other like it was a cross-examination on Matlock, right? Something on Law & Order. That's not what I was there for. And so this goes back to when we look at Naomi Osaka and we look at other... uh, other people uh, that have issues with the media it's because they don't trust the media Uh generally what happens is at some point along the line this star, this athlete says something and it gets totally misconstrued and then they just shut it down because they don't trust the media and every time something happens where an athlete has a legitimate gripe against a media person the the uh, automatic reflex is for other media people to remind us how important they are well you know you gotta talk to us well mm-hmm. now they don't because I, I, I don't know I was I listened to a lot of podcasts but someone pointed out like this Marshawn Lynch at Cal like you can google his interviews when he was at Cal his responses were thoughtful he, he talked all the time the Bay yeah. Area folks loved him he goes to the NFL and something happens in Buffalo uh-huh. something he says gets front page 
whatever, whatever. And then we get, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Mm-hmm. And now we can say, oh, Marshawn Lynch is just being a jerk. Or we can look back and we can say, well, wait a minute. You've got to hold your own people into account, right? You've got to make sure that these folks are doing their job. And when they don't say, hey, that was a dumb question. You know, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago with the reporter asking JaVale McGee if his mom was still alive. One, why? Two, Google before you, what are you doing? Yeah. But they would rather say, well, you know, they have to talk, and they don't. So what happens is you get uh, these athletes that have platforms now that they can craft their own narrative. Now, uh, media folks don't like that because it kind of cuts them out. Uh-huh. But the, the issue is they don't have to go through you anymore. Yeah. They can, you know, Draymond and KD can sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. And it's must-watch TV. Yeah. As soon as I saw the clip, you know, you know, Draymond's like, what do you think when I called you a B-word? I was like, oh, I gotta see this. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think most people that reach adult status in life can understand what happened between KD and, uh, and and Draymond. Look, I know, you know, in a situation like that, everybody's going to put their spin on it. Right? Yo. Very rarely are you going to get somebody to say, you know what, I was the bad guy. Because in your story, you're the hero and everybody else is the bad guy, the villain, trying to keep you from doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that going in. I knew Draymond was not going to say I shouldn't have called you a B-word. That he was he's not going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Now, he might have said it like off the record when they were over in Tokyo, you know, in a practice for the Olympics, he might have been like, "You know what? I probably shouldn't have said that." But he's not going to say it in that in that that setting. And I get that. And uh-huh. I'm okay with that. Uh-huh. You know, Kevin Durant's not going to say, you know, I was a little bit too sensitive. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Even, you know. even though that could be very well be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so many things, so many moving parts with this, but it just traditional media folks are getting mad and upset about it. And I, you know, I think this is a good thing because Going back to Kyle Tucker, the one thing I like about Kyle is these players and and what I get from the staff in Kentucky, they trust him. Yeah. That's how he gets to talk to Terrence Clark's elementary school teacher. Mm-hmm. This is how he gets to talk to, uh, you know, he took that trip to Nate Sestina's family in Pennsylvania somewhere. Right. You know, and people open up to him because there's that trust. That's what it's all about. You know, and if you don't have trust, you're not going to get, you're not going to get those, 
those deep answers like you want. You're going to get Rasheed Wallace. Both teams play hard. That's right. <laughs> Yo. And you bring it, it on yourself. Right. And, and, and the thing is, what Kevin Durant said during that interview was when it came to media folks, he realized they didn't know what they were talking about. He said, I had, and I'm paraphrasing here, I had respect for him, but I realized they don't know about more about what I'm doing than I do. Mm-hmm. And so you have to put this, you got to put this in perspective, right? Whatever your job is, you don't need someone who has never done your job to ask questions and thinking they know about your job than you do. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you can, what, look, uh, I know people like to talk about the, the, the folks at McDonald's that do the fries. You Even as someone who's been to McDonald's way too much, I'm not going to go into somebody at the fry machine Hey, hey, you burned that batch. You know you should only set it for 11 minutes and not 12. Because that person's going to say, what do you know about this? Right. Right? Whereas if you frame it like, hey, looks like you burned that batch. You know, what what happened? You know, I think that's a different conversation. But that's not the way sports media folks approach these approach these things. Right. Right? I, I, I shouldn't, I, I don't mean to generalize, but I think you understand the point I'm making is once these guys and ladies understand that a lot of these media folks don't understand the game as much as they do. And you see that from time to time. Because you'll see uh, one of the athletes or coach talk about, you know, and and here's the thing too we get on Coach Cal because he talks about you know the basketball biddies he likes to ask all these questions Mm -hmm. and I get people don't like it they think Cal is smug and blah 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 but he's making a point I can't talk to you about strategy if you don't understand the strategy yeah I can't talk to you about reversing the ball out of the short corner to get to the high post if you don't understand what I'm talking about and I think that's the frustration that you get with athletes because you'll see it from time to time where they will get a question that makes them and they appreciate the question right? yeah. we're like oh okay it's not we'll talk about how you felt uh, you won a championship how do you feel you lost the game how does that feel or you know you get someone that'll talk about hey I noticed they defended you like this why did you decide to do this as a counter move and you see their face light up mm-hmm. right like like lebron that one viral clip where he replayed like the last 20 possessions from memory yeah and so i think if you get more people involved where athletes trust them and they know what they're talking about that that's the that's the issue as well yeah because I tell people, like, you and I have sat in press conferences, right? We've, we've done a lot of press conferences. We've been fortunate enough to do that. I respect it because it's not easy. Mm. It's, it's not easy to ask those questions, especially after a loss. You really don't want to ask any questions. Yeah. So it, I get it. But I think you have to have some trust. You have to have some knowledge about what you're talking about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, players now don't have to rely on the media like they used to. And I don't know if I said this a few weeks ago. I meant to when the when the finals were going on. <coughs> and I, I might have said, if, if, if I'm getting repetitive, I apologize. But you think back to a guy like you know Oscar Robertson. I know that was Mr. Brown's guy. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. And there were many instances that he, I don't think, you know, was all that cool with the media and how he's portrayed or how something he said was uh, perceived or maybe mis- misconstrued. And, you know, he kind of, you know, the whole time in Cincinnati and, you know, and then going to Milwaukee and finally win the title. There was, some, there was a lot of stuff Big O was kind of upset about. But just leading up to, it might have been game six, right before Milwaukee clinched, he did a piece for the Players' Tribune, reflecting on his time in Milwaukee 50 years ago since they won. And of course, he was, you know, wanting Milwaukee to win, play hard, and, and, you know, come and show up to work and give it all you got for 48 minutes like we did. And you guys can win a championship too. It was, it wasn't raw, right? It was motivational, it was inspirational. It was reflective. And this was a guy who didn't wasn't all that thrilled to do a whole lot of talking. And he opened up. And I was, you know, I was wanting Phoenix to win for money and Devin Booker. But I read that big old letter and I was I was fired up. I'm ready to run through a big run through a brick wall for the big old. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and and, and, and a lot of it too is I think you can't take out this component. Uh, a lot of it, especially when it comes to like pro sports, basketball, football, you've got mostly uh, white reporters interacting with black athletes. Yeah. Now, am I saying that that situation can't work? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's some slight cultural differences. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get some apprehension. Even you with know? the vibe of how you ask a question. Me and you might ask somebody something a little more casual, and they know where we're coming from just because they know. Right, <laughs> Instead right. Instead of a professional, structured, uptight kind of, I'm coming at you because I'm, I'm not really sure how to come at you. Right. And there, there's the tension. <laughs> right. And, and, and there's just that cultural difference. The yeah. same way if I had to talk to a, a white kid from, you know, some small city in Iowa there's going to be a little bit of I've got to work a little bit harder to make sure that we're both understood right yeah. so mm-hmm. there's there's that aspect of it and and so I, I think that's part of it as well but it's a little it's a little bit easier for us because we've been around that more than vice versa and we, right. we can get comfortable quicker than you know talking to white people and other people than they are sometimes talking to black people. Well, we, we grew up with it, you know, and exactly, you know, as the minority. Yeah. So, yes, you know, <laughs> you know um, and not to go too dark down this hole, too deep down this hole, I should say. Growing up black in America, for the most part, you have to understand white culture. You have to, right? Um, I've had this conversation with my Kate. Uh, I had to know about Friends. I didn't watch Friends. I don't have anything against it. I didn't watch it, but I had to know of it. 
right? Because it was it was this. But I'm like, did you you know did you know anything about living single? And I think she did. But my point is that growing up like you understand how to interact, right? Yeah. You, you might have a white coach, white teachers. You know you you understand. So you you understand how you have to switch gears to make yourself heard, mm-hmm. right? So there's that aspect, and there's also uh, the aspect of these guys are all different, and you know I'm not a Kyrie Irving fan, but you can interview Kyrie without being condescending. Yeah, and talking to him like he's crazy. That's right. Like don't can, don't insult my intelligence. Don't don't right. do that because that yeah. becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. And then you know we come to find out Kevin Durant is wired differently. Like yeah. he hoops just because he loves to hoop. Yeah, like it, it's it's not a business to him. Essentially, like he's just a hooper. Mm-hmm. You know he doesn't have the family and all this kind of stuff. Right. He just he's just wired different. And, and what always happens is what, whoever the dominant person is we try to make everybody like that and what I mean is when MJ was MJ, Michael Jordan was at his peak we said collectively that's what a basketball player should be mm-hmm. he, a basketball player has got to kill his own mama to get a rebound <laughs> that's what we demand right? that's what we said and so when you have good players that come along the line and don't feel that it feels weird uh-huh. <laughs> you know like you, you know basketball's not fun and blah 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 and I'm like Magic had a smile on his face and he would beat your brains in yeah you know there's other ways to, to do that but some of that gets lost in translation also I don't know if you have seen the uh, Mouse at the Palace documentary yes, on Netflix I did I did that goes back to a lot of the cultural stuff as well. Yo. How there's a disconnect. Uh, because I, it, the, the Miles of the Palace, this one could have been like that OJ doc where it was like four or five parts. Because the thing I liked about that OJ 30 for 30, it didn't even start talking about OJ till maybe hour two, right? It, uh-huh. it, it's like, how did we get here? And we needed 45 minutes to talk about how the NBA got from being on uh, tape delay and I didn't realize they were on tape delay until like 1984 and 85 yeah, for some crazy. of the playoffs crazy. Like I didn't realize that until I googled it but how a league went from tape delay to by 2000 the finals are the finals it's an event right mm-hmm. I needed a little bit of that plus how how does America view, view the NBA it's the black league it's the hip-hop league uh-huh. and so you got the malice of the palace keep in mind uh, somebody put this out on twitter one day uh and i retweeted it about how badly the media and i hate saying the media is a boogeyman but it is what it is covered alan iverson's practice rate uh-huh all we got was the excerpt of him yelling about practice. That's all we got. And it was presented, he thinks he's too good for practice. That's what they said, right? If you watch the full, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, his best friend had just died. 
and he's responsible for all this stuff and he's trying to explain everything he's doing for his friends and his family and for the 76ers organization and he was hurt that they are getting on him about a practice when you listen to him pour out his heart for five minutes and look he's not he's not mlk he's not a public speaker right you know his 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 verbs and subject don't always agree yeah but if you listen to what he's saying about where he's coming from how he got to this point and then it was totally misconstrued totally Mm-hmm. Because he had cornrows and tattoos. Yeah. You fast forward a couple years, the malice at the palace happens, and I think I told you when we saw this was going to come out, the switch got flipped. I remember the night it happened. Uh, my dad had quadruple bypass. I'd been at the uh, uh, hospital all day my mom and he was finally settled I came home had the TV on as a distraction and wasn't paying attention until I looked and I was like what is going on on the floor mm. and they're showing clips and all this kind of stuff I'm like oh mm. and that night everybody from I think Mike Breen was there like everybody was like the fans have gone crazy yeah. the fans have absolutely gone crazy and then as it stretched into the night and flipped to the next day the players were thugs the players were out of control and so you you listen to Jermaine O'Neal and some of these players talk about and I don't know in my mind I always thought that that whole thing took like five or ten minutes in my Mm -hmm. mind like it was just okay the cup gets thrown people on the stands Jermaine O'Neal almost slips and kills a guy uh, you know, yeah. uh, all this kind of stuff, but it took forever. It took mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. And so you hear Jermaine O'Neal and the players talking about the Pacer players. We are here. There's no police, and there are thousands of angry fans throwing stuff at us, mm-hmm. fighting and punching us. And then it stops being about basketball, and but it's survival. And so, and then for Jermaine O'Neal to talk about how the players couldn't explain themselves because of all the impending litigation. So the narrative was just about thug players and and title players and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, we get the NBA dress code and Dan Stern drops the hammer. We're not going to have this. and You can't be a thug and blah, 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 blah. We just let, we just let that happen. Mm-hmm. And then we see here in this last season, you know, Russell uh, Westbrook gets popcorn dumped on him. Trey Young gets spit on. Like, the fans have been out of control. We should have been saying this 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We should have been addressing this back then. But it's so easy to just say, oh, you know, you know those black guys are thugs. You know, we, you, you, you see that. I, I say it all the time on Twitter. Like, Americans love sports, but boy, do they hate athletes. <laughs> oh, they hate some athletes, man. You, you let an athlete, you let a Kentucky basketball player be like, man, you know, I, it's, it's pretty tough out here. Well, I would give my left leg to play Kentucky basketball. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> what? 
<laughs> you guys are entitled. What? It's always and the thing that gets me is it's it's always when an athlete signs a contract, who's worth that much money? That's what they say, right? To play a kid's game. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Well, number one, somebody is signing Shaq's checks. Like somebody <laughs> <laughs> is making sure that Steph Curry gets paid. I wanna be that guy. Mm-hmm. We never talk about that guy. We talk about the billionaire athletes. We never talk about the billionaire guys. And it's always like, oh, you see that billionaire? He going to space. Ain't that cute? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's never about the millionaires, right? And it's like, come on now. Uh, Is it it fundamentally kind of ridiculous that those guys get that much money? Yeah, but that's what our society has deemed as important. You want to get mad at somebody, get mad at yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's no podcast talking about you know the the latest scientific breakthrough at MIT. You know, right? Uh-huh. You know, the reason you got ESPN one, two, ESPN Deportes, you know, the SEC <laughs> network, it ain't for kids doing chemistry experiments. Nope. So you want to blame somebody? You blame society. Uh-huh. And, and like Momani Jones said, you want to get some paid like that? Be good at something. Yeah. Be, you know, be rewarded. You, know, you you could talk about all these guys you know in college these guys they, they get these scholarships yeah it's called earning the scholarship you want a scholarship be good at something you know what when I was growing up I told my dad I was going to be the next Michael Jordan my dad said no you're not go to those books <laughs> I got I went to the books and you know what I got a scholarship to the University of Kentucky you know, that was the way I had to go I couldn't be good at basketball I was going to be good at something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, <laughs> you got to find something. If you want to be compensated well, make yourself valuable. If you're not 6'7 and you can't run a 4'1, 440, you need to be good at something else. Yeah. Sports ain't for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else we, to, how to say. We dog him out, but Stephen A makes 12 in a year. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> be good at whatever it is that earns you that earning potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the thing is you, you be good at something or you develop something that, that, that for value. But we just we hate athletes. Oh, these guys are babies. Really? I mean. <laughs> Come on, man! It's, it's like that 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 tweet that went around maybe last year, year before. You know, somebody talking about uh, of all the things he listed, could he score a touchdown from the one yard line? Hit a home run? Like he listed off a bunch of things, and his and his thing was like scoring a touchdown would be easy. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Americans are deluded. Like, I you know. Uh, covering the games, I was able to go down close to the field. Uh, the Louisville, Kentucky game, uh, Josh Allen, Benny Snell's last game, whatever year that was. Everything pre-pandemic is playing together. Anyway, I, I never, because you're, you're allowed to go down fourth quarter, you're allowed to go down to the field if you're in the press box. I never do because I'm like, I don't, number one, it's always cold. But number two, I don't pay enough attention 
and I don't move fast enough to be on the field. <laughs> but this game was kind of over, and I was like, I'm gonna get down there. Number one, the game is faster than you think. Mm-hmm. Like what you're seeing on TV ain't the way it is in real life when you're up on it. And I'm standing there talking to somebody, Matty McKendrick Haskins. Josh Allen bumped into me uh, just walking along the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a, as you bump into somebody in the crowd. And I was like, what? And the guy next to me said, can you imagine him running full speed after you? I said, hell no. Like, no. No. You can't do these things. The yeah. jump between pretty good high school player and college D1 player, it's a big jump. Mm-hmm. It's all relative. You know, I think I told you about that Brian Scalabrini. That yeah. He has a whole thing. He travels around and he gives people the business because they're like, that dude's at the end of the bench. Yeah, the end of an NBA bench. Right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I, I, I think I, I told you, I, I've had a couple, to, a couple times I played against Luke Hancock. Mm-hmm. Who Final Four MOP, whatever, whatever. I think he sells insurance now. Whatever. Right. But the gap is so wide. Let me tell you something, Vinny. I could not foul him. He's dribbling up the court. I'm trying to, I'm trying to foul, and I couldn't slow him down. <laughs> and I'm like, man, and and no knock on on Luke, but he's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's not really a foul. And like, I'm like, (laughs) the the gap is so wide. uh, I just don't think people get it Mm -mm. with, with these athletes. Like you are not, if if things could have gone differently, you are not making, you know, the NBA. Like you're just, you're, you're you're just not. Yeah. You know, the stuff we do and pick up ain't going to work. You know, you know, trying to think you can get your little, our little step back jumpers off on uh, you know Kawhi I mean he you know he quick enough to take away your drive and can still get out there and challenge her he, we, he ain't worried about us yeah you know I haven't I didn't really go to the field much uh, covering football games at the end of the game like you just talked about but I would be down there a lot before getting the warm ups and just walking around and you know, seeing what the other team was doing, you know, whoever, Tennessee, Missouri, stretching and all that, or, you know, the, the blocking drills they do, you know, in warm-ups, you know, the little mock tackling drills and, the, you know, throwing the ball to the linebackers so they can get interceptions and stuff. And, you know, it was an SEC Network game. Cole Kubelik was there, you know, doing the sideline stuff. He's our age. He ain't played in years. And he's still a, a big old dude, you know? Yes. So imagine him, you know, back in the 90s when we were all 20, you know, in the trenches with Booker McFarlane and, and all the NFL dudes he did battle with. So that that lets you know, you know, he's 40-whatever and, and still is a big man. It's just a whole different, a whole different rarefied air that they're in. Yeah, you know, that's the, uh, that's the crazy thing is no, you you weren't close to being whatever. No, you weren't. You just no. You know, like <laughs> no. Yeah. It's it, but we just we don't allow athletes their humanity is basically the thing. Yeah. And 
the only reason the media is able to do it is because most of the fans are okay with it. Mm-hmm. Letting them feel they can have that kind of control when they yeah. shouldn't have that or even try to exert that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, man, another good, another good, uh, another good episode. Feel yeah, good about it. Mark Story coming in, coming yeah. in from the bullpen to deliver some quality, some quality innings. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate everybody that listens. Appreciate Michelle always tweeting about us and telling people to listen. And appreciate Ben Sutter at BS3 that puts us on plat- podcast platforms we didn't even know existed to give people a chance to listen. Um, La Terrain Watches who gave us a Cats Talk promo code for people if they want to buy one if they heard the podcast use Cats Talk get 10% off and our buddy Christian McCollum at Play Action Pools has got the contest up and running for football basketball's coming soon I made one last night for Cats Talk Wednesday called Cats Talk Picks get in there and pick the game for this week and it's all the college football games I just did a pick them I didn't do any point spread or money line or that kind of stuff but jump in there uh, our buddy Jay Hayes has already jumped in and three or four other people it's uh, playactionpools.com and then click contest and search up I think it's called Cats Talk Picks got a picture of Kroger Field there and you get in there and pick your games and have some fun with that and we just keep having fun trying to do what we do each and every week Appreciate all your knowledge TV and doing your thing in the spaces and telling old people about what we do over here. And oh, yeah. It's fun each and every time, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trying to get my condo in Louisville sold so I can tie up some loose ends. So I'm doing, I'm doing good. I hope that goes well and hope somebody jumps all over it with the fair type of offer that you put out there and just hope to transaction is super smooth and everything changes hands in a, in a wonderful uh, easy manner because I'm going I'm to I'm get this money and I'm going to go spend it yeah, that's what I'm talking about that's what I, yeah, you talking about I just text you the bag that's what I, <laughs> get that transaction handled dot them I's and cross them T's so I hope that goes good <laughs> absolutely we appreciate everybody. Follow us at Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Vote on the Drake Jackson Austin McGinnis poll, and we'll see everybody next week on Cat Talk Wednesday. Be safe, stay dry, stay warm, enjoy what's up to summer. Fall and football's on the way. Take care, Excellent. y'all.